no steel frame structures um, that existed during the Canterbury earthquakes were demolished after the earthquakes due to problems with the structural steel. There were some uh, steel structures which were demolished, but uh, often this was because of uh, excessive foundation settlement. Kiora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Kia ora. I am Kawa, Hera's Manager Structural Systems. Today, we continue talking with Greg McRae, Associate Professor at Department of Civil and Natural Resources Engineering at the University of Canterbury. He has been working on low damage seismic approach for structures since 1994. We will talk about low damage solution for steel structures. In the first part, we talk about general overview of low damage seismic solutions. Please join us to listen to the second and last part about various aspects of low damage seismic solution and sliding hinge joint, a low damage seismic solution developed for moment-resisting framed steel structures. Um, supporting robust project to develop low damage systems, and you are leading the project. Would you let everyone know about the robust project? Yes, yes, we're very grateful to Hera, uh, especially through the uh, Herf Foundation uh, for supporting this project. Uh, robust. The robust project is a series of shaking table tests on a full-scale, configurable, three-story steel building. Uh, the building has friction dissipation, so all energy is dissipated through friction. And the building is not just a, it's not just a frame, it's a building, so it has non-skeletal elements. The two-directional horizontal shaking table testing is conducted on Tongji University Jiading campus uh, shaking tables in Shanghai. They have facilities much, much better than we have, and they've made it available at a very uh, low cost. So the main types of friction connection we're testing are, uh, and I'm, I'm stating this in the order in which we're going to do the testing. The first one is the uh, resilient slip uh, friction joint connections which has been developed at the University of Auckland, and these are marketed by uh, Tectonis. And, and, uh, so we'll, we'll be testing those. Uh, we'll be testing uh, symmetric friction connections, which were originally developed in the, in the US. Uh, we'll be uh, dissipating energy with asymmetric friction connections. These were initially developed by Charles Clifton when he was working at uh, the Heaven Engineering Research Association uh, here a, a, a few years ago. Um, both the asymmetric and symmetric friction connections, AFCs and SFCs, are being tested with and without conical spring washers. And they, these washers were first patented by someone called Belville, sometimes they're called Belville spring wa uh, washers or Belville springs. Um, and a lot of development of, the, of these has been done by uh, Shahab Ramamosian, uh, both uh, universities in Auckland. And we're also testing a grip and grab. It's a tension only uh, device, 
which was uh, conceived at the University of Canterbury. So uh, we're doing a lot of New Zealand related work here um, and uh, we're testing a New Zealand building. The, the three-story, nine-meter tall building has a plan of about eight meters by five meters and it's got cone floor decking. The configurations tested involved uh, involve a moment frame. Uh, this has friction dissipation at the beam ends and at the column bases. We're testing a, a brace frame with friction dissipation in the brace. We're testing a rocking frame with tension only dissipation. And what that does is it ensures that the, the frame can rock back to its uh, initial position. We get full recentering. And we're also testing a rocking, rocking column configuration, which has been proposed by our Chinese collaborators. Uh, in the final tests, we will include components of realistic non-skeletal elements. These include the horizontal non-skeletal elements, the ceilings and, and, and the piping. We've got the vertical non-skeletal elements. This is the cladding. Cladding we're considering is glazed curtain walling and precast concrete panels, and these are New Zealand details. Uh, and we also have internal partition walls with access holes. We'll talk about that a bit later. And um, we're testing the contents. So we're really trying to understand not only the structural performance, but the performance of a whole building. And that is important for a decision maker as they decide what sort of structure to use. Exactly. Uh, the HERA funding has been uh, great. And uh, there's a lot of funding from other groups, which is matching the HERA, HERA funding. So there's a lot of leverage HERA is getting with this. This comes from the International Laboratories for Earthquake Engineering, from Tongji University College of Civil Engineering, from Quake Corps, from Brands, from University of Auckland, from the Earthquake uh, Commission, and from the New Zealand uh, Quake Center. So these are providing a, a, a cash um, contributions, uh, and others are providing in-kind contributions of materials and time. Uh, these include the University of Canterbury, Comfloor, Hilti, Foreman Building Systems, Gripple, Lanyon and Lecomte, uh, Alutec Doors and Windows, and we're grateful for all of this uh, support. And we're working really as a team to solve uh, New Zealand problems, and also uh, we're learning something by working with the Chinese. The investigation team has staff and students at uh, AUT, at University of Auckland, at University of Canterbury, and there's a, an advisory group who are making comments on our designs and, and uh, saying that this or that could be done better in order to uh, satisfy New Zealand needs. So as you can see, it's an all New Zealand effort. Uh, and so we're collaborating too with the excellent staff at Tongji University. And it really is good to be we learning from them and they are helping get things uh, through the lab. The impetus for this work was that several uh, earthquakes uh, had, been, uh, had, had affected uh, structural resilience. So there have been a number of earthquakes where the structure remained standing, but there was damage, especially to um, non-skeletal elements or other uh, elements, which meant that there was a repair needed and, and uh, or the building couldn't stand up. Uh, and so uh, while there have been a number of resilient approaches or low damage approaches 
develop, uh, most of these have been tested on components and some have been implemented in actual buildings, but there was very little experimental evidence of the complete building system. So what we're trying to do is, is develop that uh, just a huge amount of evidence that, it's, that these systems are good so that people will go ahead and use them with confidence. Uh, Greg, you um, talk about um, stiff structures and you mentioned that stiff, um, stiffness um, is an approach to uh, reduce damage. Can you please um, clarify what do you mean uh, when you mention stiff structures? Yes, yes. A stiff structure is one which uh, is likely to have low drift. If it's likely to have low drift, it's likely to have low damage. And we've seen already around the world, especially in places like Chile, where if you have very low drift, you, your, your structures can be usable almost immediately after the earthquake. Now, saying low drift does not mean low ductility. We need ductility in order to be able to uh, carry big earthquakes or, or even earthquakes bigger than what we, uh, what we designed for. But if you've got a, a stiff structure and the, and the yield displacement is, is say five millimeters, and uh, then uh, with a ductility of four, we go up to maybe 20 millimeters, the amount of damage is much less than a, a flexible structure where we have maybe a, a yield displacement of 20 millimeters and we go up to 80 millimeters. In that case, you get 60 millimeters of, of inelastic action. And uh, you get bigger P-delta effects, you get bigger damage, you, but both to the structural elements and to the uh, non-structural elements. Yep. If you make your structure stiff enough, such that the performance is that you get immediate occupancy after a 2,500 year event, then according to that definition, then we have a low damage structure. If you have something, some stiffness, which is, is, is less than that, then you will get better performance, uh, but you won't be at the, uh, the required definition for low damage construction. Yeah, great. Um, thanks. Uh, you uh, mentioned about mm, some objectives of robust project. Do you have something to add about the main objectives of robust pro pro um, project and what would be the benefit of the project for steel and uh, construction industry in New Zealand? Uh, yes, I mentioned the uh, impetus for this project and what was really driving it and the, and the need for structures which can be immediately occupiable or, or even better, fully operational after a major event. Uh, and so uh, I'll talk about the, both the objectives and, and benefits of uh, the, 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 we hope to see from the robust project. The, the work is really being done to address three things. Um, we want to demonstrate and quantify the structural performance. That means we should be able to predict it and, and, and uh, understand it fully and build up that evidence uh, needed to make everyone comfortable that they can use it. So that's the structural performance. The second one is to demonstrate and quantify the building performance. And the building includes all the non-skeletal elements. And the third thing 
is that we want to test economical methods for repairing and straightening such building systems if they're needed. So this is something which is needed after every big earthquake if you want to have something which is resilient and it does need some repair. We want to see how easy is it to repair? How easy is it to even inspect? Uh, so these are the main objectives. And in, in addition, we, we hope to find any surprises about the structural performance. Not only structural performance, surprises during construction. Uh, anything that is difficult so that we can understand it and help others to not fall into the traps we're going to fall into as we uh, design this big uh, structure for the, the first time. Uh, in terms of the benefits of this testing, what we're hoping is that by demonstrating that we can have cheap, fast, modular construction, so the construction is, is really efficient and good, uh, and we have good performance, that so, so that we, we have a very good system and then after we obtain uh, overcome the general issues associated with the alternative solutions and the uh, building code, uh, then we will have something that can be used widely and economically. It's part of developing that trust in the systems that we discussed earlier. Uh, actually, most of the low damage construction is material agnostic. That is, structures of all materials, uh, steel, timber, concrete, can be made low damage. However, for novel systems, we have devices, and these devices need to be connected to the structure. The easy way to connect these structures is with steel. So structural steel systems have a big advantage when it comes to low damage solutions and low damage construction in general. Uh, furthermore, for friction connections, we have steel moving relative to steel and sliding. It makes sense to use steel structures. It is simply the easiest way to get these friction connections. We've got to overcome the technical, political, and economic issues we discussed previously with low damage design. Um, but when we do this, the system is likely to offer simple economical structures for New Zealand, which are likely to behave much better than those currently used. And it, gives uh, all the advantages of low damage construction we discussed earlier. It's a step toward moving New Zealand back to being a country with good earthquake resilience. We've got to keep pushing that implementation to make that happen. A number of New Zealand companies have already seen the opportunities and benefits in these low damage uh, systems with structural steel and have been incorporating friction dissipation into actual structures. This is already providing extra evidence and confidence of good performance, and it makes it more likely that these systems will be used in the future. How the robust project is going on, and um, may you let us know the progress of the project? Yes, yes, it's a, actually a very big and complex project. To date, we've had over 110 weekly meetings. So that's uh, two years <laughs> of, of weekly meetings, plus hundreds of other meetings every, uh, all the time. So there are lots of other meetings between different groups. Um, we've had excellent collaboration between China and New Zealand. We've had people traveling, especially before COVID, in, in both directions. 
um, to have uh, good, good relations. Uh, the work is a, really a, a team effort. It's a huge team effort, and we've got a fantastic team, I think, of both uh, people involved uh, on both sides uh, within New Zealand and also the uh, sponsoring and advisory team. Um, it's a very complex design. We've got nine different designs. Uh, we've got different instrumentation on them all. We've got issues getting them into a lab because it's bigger than the lab door uh, opening. Um, and we've uh, had to deal with a whole lot of different things. Uh, we, we're getting our, our conical spring washers from the US and we have to send these to China being paid for by New Zealand in the age of embargoes and trade wars between China and the US. So all these things make it quite complicated. A design of the steelwork is now complete. It's going to construction. Uh, the lab is big and it has quite a lot of things going on. And the lab is always reluctant until everything is sitting there ready to be moved in to provide the final timing. But we're trying to get ready as fast as we possibly can to get in at the first opportunity. And we are hoping that testing will not be over our Christmas holidays. Christmas is not something which is emphasized in China, and it is possible that it could be over Christmas. Um, and depending on travel restrictions, we uh, may or may, or if there were no travel restrictions, we, we, we'll certainly be there. Um, and the Chinese, I, I think it's important for them that we are, uh, are there too. It's creating some hassles at the moment, is these uh, travel restrictions. Um, in addition to the big building, we're building a, a small model, a 2D printed one, to ensure that we get the sequencing right as we modify the structure. Um, already, we've conducted uh, full-scale component tests of the different parts of the frame. These are the friction braces, uh, the friction sliding hinge joints, uh, and these have been tested in China. There have been other tests of proprietary products um, like the uh, RSFJ um, that have been carried out in New Zealand. And so far, these show excellent behavior. Uh, as part of the project, there are a whole lot of things that have happened already before we've done the major test. And we've introduced some big innovations, I think, into the low damage design. Uh, what we have is some new system to protect the glazed uh, curtain walls. There's very little information about this, and it's not clear that many uh, companies involved in glazed curtain walling really know what they're doing in terms of uh, protecting those when a stretch goes through large drifts. Uh, also, uh, the internal partition walls, this is a gypsum board that's on the inside of the structure, uh, for those, we are we're providing access ports or access holes. And what this does is it allows us to inspect the connections and repair them to some extent without having to damage the structure. So normally, if you've got a, a normal structure and you put your uh, partition wall there beside the, the, the frames, you've got to damage it in order to look at the, uh, the connection. And by providing these holes there, uh, we don't have to damage the structure to inspect the low damage construction. <laughs> um, so it's an, an essential part of low damage construction, and it hasn't been emphasized anywhere. I think we're the first people to really emphasize the need to be able to inspect the structure. We need low damage inspection as well as low damage structures. And with this low damage inspection, 
because we'll be able to get in there, we can do things like Python bolts and do some minor repairs as well. Um, and uh, the third thing is that we need to predict the um, seismic response of very different structural systems. Some of these dissipate large amounts of energy and others dissipate very small amounts. The methods that are used in New Zealand, the, the current loading code approach, and there's a, an approach which uh, is associated with the pushover methods of uh, Priestley, which uses the sequence stiffness, um, is in his displacement-based design approaches. Neither of these actually predict the displacement very well. So what we've got is a simple method uh, which really reconciles these two approaches, one of which says that the hysteresis loop shape isn't important, one of them says the hysteresis loop shape is important. And as part of this, we're making moving towards a more general procedure uh, for this. There's a lot of work to be done on this, but it really was initiated by the project. We've developed a decision-making project uh, matrix for sliding connection repair if it's needed, so that, that's new. Um, and in terms of new innovations with the steel systems, in general, we haven't really got a lot because we've, we've sort of worked things out before we came to this stage. We, we understand most of the, the performance issues. But there are some definitions that need to be sorted out. In one of the current design procedures, we consider the bulk proof load and is, is a normalizing factor. And what we found is that the definition for bulk proof load is different in different countries. And so there are some modifications that we need there. And so this is before we even started the major testing. And, and uh, But we're, we're really looking forward to uh, have the actual tests uh, moving forward. Great. Um, as you mentioned, uh, one of the systems you are in investigating is sliding hinge joint seismic solution. Can you explain how does the system work when subjected to earthquake? Yes, as we mentioned before, in all structures and, 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 in, and for steel structures, we generally design the steel to be much weaker than what is needed if the forces were to remain, uh, if the structure to re were to remain elastic during a major earthquake. This is an economic issue and it's for uh, the same, as the same for all, all structures of, of all materials, we expect some yielding. So normally we expect uh, yielding and this, so as the, as the earthquake occurs beside the column and the beam, we generally expect the steel and the beam to yield and dissipate energy. And when we do this, we can get reliable seismic response in real earthquakes. However, the steel is damaged and it may buckle and maybe it cannot go through many more earthquakes uh before it fractures or breaks and so what we have to do after we get a member a steel member which is significantly damaged is that we have to replace it and to replace a beam in a building is very difficult because you've got to support the floor and take the beam out and then if you've got to do that on one level you might have to do it on another level um, and so it's, it's, it's very inconvenient causes you've got to rip off the non-skeletal uh, non elements. And uh, so it, it really reduces the resilience of a building and it might be more economical to pull the building down. So what we're doing in a, in a friction connection, such as the sliding hinge joint, sliding hinge joint is, is at, the, at the end of a beam in a moment connection, but we've got other 
uh, friction connections, which we can also use. Um, there is no steel yielding. The steel doesn't yield. Instead, the steel plates are bolted together and high hardness steel shims are, are, are placed between them so that as sliding occurs between the plates as the column moves over and the, due, to, due to earthquake, um, there's very little damage to the connection and it can go through many cycles. Uh, at the end of the earthquake, there may be no structural damage to the, the, the major members. Um, it may be that in some cases, we may need to retighten the bolts or maybe even replace the bolts and the shims, but that's sort of the worst case. And this is much, much cheaper than replacing the whole structure and, and it increases the building resilience. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think um, you actually um, well covered the advantage of sliding hinge joint from seismic design point of view, but welcome if you would like to add anything more. I would like to ask uh, advantage of uh, this low damage system in terms of sustainability and economical aspects. Mm. Yes, okay. So we've got several ways we can design these uh, connections at the moment in terms of sustainability, which is the uh, same as resilience, and, uh, and uh, from the economical aspect. Of course, if we have a more sustainable structure, if there's a big earthquake, it will be much more economical in the, in the long term. But there's also the economical aspect of the initial construction, which the uh, client is always looking at. So in terms of performance, if we use a, a traditional yielding connection, uh, then the, the beam end yields, um, and these are probably the least sustainable because they require member replacement, but they're, they're, they're fairly cheap. Uh, if we move up a notch and we use uh, standard friction connections, such as a sliding hinge joint, these are more sustainable because in the worst case, we probably only require bolt or shim replacement, and they cost a little bit more. We can move up another level with the work that uh, Shahab has been doing by using partially post-tensioned conical spring washers. And these are much more sustainable. So in the tests we've done, we've found that these may have no damage at all under the considered earthquakes. So after an earthquake, it's just as good as it was before the earthquake. And so that means you've got to do nothing to it unless the, the bolt hits the end of the hole. Um, the issue with these are that they're, they're a little more expensive again. So you, you're really uh, paying more for better performance in all cases. And do you have um, any other point you would like to discuss? Yes, thank you. I've always got a few few things I like to discuss. I've got four points um, that, uh, that I, I've got since I got your, your questions. Um, the first one is a general one. Uh, in New Zealand, we have a, what we call a, a performance-based code. And what this does is it means that we have many opportunities for innovation and the development of new structures. However, having a performance-based code also brings risks and challenges. It creates opportunities for groups within New Zealand and overseas to develop their own systems and to market them. Uh, and some uh, groups can market their, their systems very, very strongly. And the, 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 some groups don't necessarily 
provide the bad as well as the, the good. And we need to see all of it in order to make good decisions. Sometimes, especially if they've got a, a vested interest in, in selling uh, the product. So I think it's important that in order to have a flat playing field for all low damage structures, that um, robust and acceptable systems be incorporated into the standards as fast as possible, and that we have rigorous peer review and open information about the good things and bad things that happen in the development of these products as well, so that we can develop confidence about the things we need to be really careful about when we implement them. So that's the first point. Uh, the second thing uh, is that if we make the non-skeletal elements so that they do not contribute to the frame response in a low damage structure, then these non-skeletal elements also become non-structural elements. And basically that they provide mass and they go for the ride. Now, the current New Zealand standard allows us to design for a lower level of response due to the presence of non-skeletal elements. And this, this effect is incorporated into the SP factor in New Zealand standard 1170.5. This effect of no non-skeletal elements was clearly seen in the Wellington earthquakes, or in, in, in Wellington during the Kaikoura earthquakes, where parking structures, which have very few non-skeletal elements, seem to suffer significantly more damage than other types of structure. So yeah. we need to consider this increase in structural demand that we get by isolating our uh, non-structural elements from the structure, um, especially if the reasons for incorporating the SP factor into the design no longer exist. Uh, we've got to consider, do we, should we have it or, or how should we deal with this? Because we can actually get bigger demands, bigger drifts, if we isolate our non-skeletal elements. And this is something which isn't talked about much in the low damage design area. Yeah. The third point uh, relates to loss estimation. I want to just add, add a word of caution here. I've been working with this uh, field for, for a while now. Um, but there are some who are proposing the use of loss estimation techniques to determine the levels of loss expected. And, and then uh, working back to say, okay, this, will, uh, this is how we should set our design levels for uh, low damage design. And I think this is very well intentioned. Um, however, there are a number of issues here. The first is it takes a lot of time to do these analyses. Uh, in fact, you can keep going forever because you uh, can never uh, consider all the things properly. And, and it's possible to spend a lot of time and end up with nothing useful. The second thing there is it's, it's never possible to do it properly or correctly. And, and we have to make many, many assumptions. Uh, and these assumptions can affect the response. The third thing is that when you do these analyses, and you, even if you consider the, the, the uncertainty you know about, there's a huge amount of scatter. So the answers you get are generally swamped by uncertainty. That means that while you might estimate a loss of so many million dollars, uh, you might be off by 50% or 70%. Um, 
and uh, there might be a difference between one system and another system, and, and you show that the, on, on average there's a difference, but in terms of the overall uh, standard deviation, there's no significant difference, and that is not often talked about. Uh, fourth point is, it's very difficult to check the results from loss estimation analysis. So it's very difficult to actually obtain a lot of confidence in it. And the last point is that because assumptions need to be made um, and people doing the analysis bring their own preconceptions and biases, the answer obtained from such analyses really depends a lot on the people doing the analysis. So I, I'm not ruling out loss estimation. Uh, I've been involved with it a lot, but I do think it's dangerous if you try and use it to set uh, performance uh, levels. I think it's uh, maybe an interesting thing to do afterwards uh, to work out possible asso uh, associated losses with specific design levels and shaking levels. Um, but I think this should only be done after the design levels have been set. So we've got to be, I think, very, very careful of those people who advocate using uh, loss estimation with it's all this probabilistic techniques and convolution integrals and all those things. The, the final point is that uh, in Canterbury, we saw that some structures with very little damage, uh, which could be categorized as, as low damage structures, were not able to be used for many months after the earthquakes, even though there was no damage. And this is because they were in the shadow of neighboring damage structures. There was a big structure nearby them. There was a, a, a concern that if that big structure uh, fell over, it could land on one of these other structures. So this means that a low damage structure, which is not damaged in an earthquake, may not be accessible. And in some ways that defeats the point of, of aiming at resilience. It is therefore necessary, if we really want to have low damage structures with immediate access, um, that we need, that, that there are regional rules in place to ensure that all the structures within that vicinity are accessible. And the only way we can really ensure this is if we have some rules and uh, government intervention to increase the performance of, of all structures uh, in a vicinity. So those are my comments and uh, I'm happy to uh, answer any uh, further questions or, or chat more if you like. Thank you very much, Greg, for this very interesting conversation. Thank you, Kawa. Kia ora. It's Kawa again. We discussed various aspects of low damage seismic solution and sliding hinge joint, which is a low damage solution for steel moment resisting framed structures. Hera is pleased to present a webinar on optimized sliding hinge joint, which will be available to watch on Hera YouTube channel from 18th to 19th November 2020 to share the latest development, modeling and design of optimized sliding hinge joint, seismic loading and detailing, and key improvement of optimized sliding hinge joint compared to the traditional sliding hinge joint. For registration, visit Hera website, event page, or contact us. Hera will publish 
optimize sliding hinge joint design guide shortly. For more information, please contact us. If you would like to know more about this topic or have a question, then please get in touch with myself. My details are in the show notes. Gilda, it is Greg here again, the Innovation and Transformation Architect at Hera. Uh, today's conversation was a great one. It reminded me of a Kyrgyzia quote. This earthquake didn't just break all the records, it also broke some of the rules. A timely reminder that our connection to the academic community via way of university is a really important one. And if you want to get connected in with any of the research that we are up to, or any of our innovation clusters, or those new and fresh perspectives that we are taking on um, in the middle sector, please get in touch with me. My details are 